Amen, amen. You may be seated today. You know, we've been in this really challenging season and and and, and in storms. We're doing this series storms because we're all kind of walking through some stuff. Whether, you know, it's just kind of been a deal that, you know, you haven't been able to go out to eat as much, all the way to maybe dealing with some sickness, a financial setback because of this COVID season, or maybe you just got a, a, another struggle going on in your life. But we all weather stuff from time to time. We all deal with stuff. And when we think about people that have accomplished great things in their life, we're typically thinking about people that have actually weathered storms. When you see somebody that's grown a business, when you see somebody that's grown a church, when you see somebody that's got, become successful in an area of their life, they're people that have weathered some storms because we're all going to go through storms. And I don't know who you think about when you think about people that have achieved success in their life, but a couple of years ago I read a, an article about Walt Disney. Now, I'm not talking today about the theme park, but the man himself and the, the amazing story and life that is Walt Disney. What he had to actually overcome to achieve success is incredible. In fact, I would say that the level that you're going to go to in your walk with God and in the purpose that God has for your life, you're going to have to overcome greater and greater obstacles. Because listen, with Walt Disney, we're all familiar with the theme park and the movies. And, and honestly, we, honestly, sometimes we try to act like we don't really like the movies, but honestly, they're awesome, aren't they? In fact, the other day, Pam and I were watching Neely, and she fell asleep in the middle of Frozen 2. And so we put her to sleep. Pam said, you want to turn it off? I said, absolutely not. we got to finish the movie. i got to find out what's going to happen with Elsa, right? <laughs> and so we, we all love that, that stuff. But you have to respect a man who rolls into California with $40 in his pocket. Right. Rolls into California on a train and literally becomes an American icon. Everybody's familiar and knows Walt Disney. His first full feature, full-length feature film, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, barely got made. It took $1.5 million. Please understand, this is 1937, when $1.5 million was a lot, 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 lot of money. Today, there's like several millionaires here today. Okay, maybe not. Just go ahead and speak that in faith ahead of time over some of you. But $1.5 million, and it took everything that they had to finish it. And it's hard for us kind of in this computer generated age for us to think of what it actually took to draw each scene by hand. Can you imagine what it took? And, and most people thought that it wouldn't work. But in its original release, it grossed $8 million. And today has grossed over $184 million. And what is amazing is that after Walt had this success, he, he didn't sit back on his laurels. He didn't sit back on, on the accolades and the, that he had received. He reinvested the success of that project into the next project, into the next project, into Bambi and into Fantasia and so on. And I think what Walt learned is, that, is this. If you don't reinvest your miracles, you'll actually come to the end of them. Again, it's kind of easy for us in our walk with God. We, we achieve a level of success that now we're not fighting quite as much with our spouse or, or we've gotten a little bit better with our money and we want to rest instead of reinvesting our miracles and continue to move forward in the life that God actually has for us. And honestly, it's probably a word for some of you here today who have maybe gotten out of being really involved in life and you're kind of sitting on the sidelines in life. It's time for you to get back into the game. And I tell you this, when you're in the game and, and you're rowing the boat, you don't have time to worry about why the game isn't being played exactly right. 
In fact, I heard this about church life a long time ago, that he that is rowing the boat doesn't have time to rock it. And it really is true. And so what, what Walt did do is he actually took a, Paul, a small portion of his success and he bought his parents a home. Now, I think that's a pretty smoking deal for kids to buy parents a home. Or give them grandkids. You know, just take your pick. But he, he, shortly after the success, he actually moved his parents from Oregon down to northern Hollywood. And, and after they moved in, there was a funny smell. So Walt sent some men over to check it out. And the men went over to took care of what they thought was the problem, only to discover that the maid discovered both of um, Walt Disney's parents unresponsive the next day. So the maid actually drags them out of the house and was able to save Walt's father, but his mother passed away. She died from carbon monoxide poisoning. And there are currently in America, 400, on average, 430 people a year who die from carbon monoxide poisoning. And upwards of 20,000 people end up in hospitals and ERs because of this silent killer. And today, this is honestly very needlessly, because in 1990, someone actually invented a carbon monoxide detector. And so for $20 at Walmart, you can buy a detector that will keep your friends and family safe at home and in your business. For $20, you can have something that warns you about impending danger in your life. That this silent and somewhat odorless killer doesn't have to damage your family. It sends out a warning to you and to other people. It's letting you know that there's danger, that something needs to be done. There needs to be an adjustment made in your life to keep yourself safe. And the understanding is this. The best kind of protection is early detection. The best kind of protection in your marriage is early detection we got some issues, we've got some problems, we've got some things we've been talking about we can't get past. We need to invite someone else into our lives, either a friend or a counselor, to help us get past where we're at. The best kind of protection is early detection in your finances, that if every, every month you run out of money before you run out of month, you might want to sit down with a financial advisor and say, look, we're having some problems of working through some things and, and health issues of our lives. It's kind of like the rumble strips that we talked about last week. The, the highway department has put those there to warn you of danger. It tells you when you're veering off course. It tells you when you're going in the wrong direction. Listen, the rumble strip doesn't change you. Now, today, in today's cars, many cars, when you kind of begin to veer across the line, the newer cars will actually push you back in place. Isn't that a little annoying? You kind of want to drift, you want to drift, right? And this thing keeps correcting you. The nice thing is you can actually start texting, watch TV, whatever it is you want to do, and just let your car go, right? Just kidding there today. It doesn't change you. It just tells you that something needs to be fixed. It's, it, doesn't, it doesn't fix you. It just tells you there's something that you need to deal with. It's both audible and it's felt. And it's warning you, listen, you're veering off course. You're heading in the wrong direction. So let me remind you real quickly why we need rumble strips in our car, but why we also need them in life is the first thing is that drifting happens. In every one of our life, drifting naturally happens. And have you ever noticed that you don't drift in the right way? You, you have a tendency, all of us have a tendency to drift towards being negative with our words. 
We don't drift in the wrong way. We drift when we aren't focused. We drift when we're, we get tired or when we fall asleep. We drift when we aren't paying attention, which leads me to the second reason why this is so important, is because driving takes work. You, you have to pay attention to drive, right? Why? Because progress is expensive. You have to pay for progress. You have to pay attention. And the third reason that we need it is you can't correct what you don't detect. If you don't know that there is a problem, you don't know that correction is actually needed. So what is the rumble strip that you and I need in our lives that keeps us focused, that keeps us from drifting, that helps us weather the storms in our life? For us as followers of Jesus Christ, it's the Word of God. And here's the verse that we looked at last week in Matthew chapter 7 when it said this. Jesus is talking and he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. And I want to remind you, it's a combination of both things. It's not just being a hearer of the word. It's what James says, to be a doer of the word also. Puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And here's what happens when the storm comes. Therefore the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. So God's plan for every one of us that are followers of Jesus Christ to weather the storms in our life is to build our lives on his word. To allow the word of God to become the rock, the sure foundation that we build our lives on. Not our feelings, not our opinions, not what Facebook says, not what someone said on Facebook, but what the Word of God says. Now some of you, and especially recently, if you've gone to college, you've had teachers that have said, listen, the Bible's just a good book by, about a good man named Jesus, or it just has some historical value, but it really isn't the Word of God. i got to tell you today, you have to, by faith, make a choice to believe that the Bible is the Word of God. You're going to have to make that choice. You're going to have to decide. It either is the Word of God the rock for your life or it's not. Just so you know, little little teaser, it is the Word of God. And it is the foundation for your life. But you've got to understand it. In fact, here's what the Word of God says about the Word of God. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says this, For the Word of God is alive and active. Listen, you can read great books besides the Bible, and they're great to read, but the Word of God is alive and active, meaning it's getting in on the inside of you, and it's changing things. It's adjusting you. It's changing the way you think. It's changing the way you believe. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. Now, most of us have a, an understanding about swords. In fact, I brought one today so that I could show you, because this thing can be a little bit intimidating. Now, I know today we're all Texans and we're all gun toters, so we know, recognize that a gun is a little bit more intimidating than a sword. But in its day, when the Bible was written, this was the weapon of choice. This thing was intimidating. And if you don't think it's intimidating, come on up here, bring your pocket knife up here, and you and I will have a quick duel. Right? <laughs> Pretty intimidating. But it goes on to say this about the Word of God, that it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, Joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts, the attitudes, and the intents of the heart. Now listen, most of us have learned, if you were raised in church like me, you recognize how wonderful it is to be able to pull out the word of God and come against the enemy. When the enemy's trying to tell you that you're going to be defeated, you say, no, I'm more than a conqueror. 
When he tells you that you're going to be sick, you say, no, by his stripes I'm healed. When he tells you that you're going to be broke all your life because your parents were broke, your grandparents were broke, you're going to do what the word of God says that Pam quoted earlier, for the blessing of the Lord brings wealth and he adds no sorrow to it. You're going to be able to use the word of God and it's awesome to be able to pull out the word of God against the enemy. But listen, if you don't know this word of God, you can't use the word of God. Now listen, this isn't some... Um, cast some heavy weights upon us about how important it is for us to read the Word of God. It's important for you to read the Word of God. Why? So you can be armed against every scheme of the enemy. But listen, God doesn't want you just to use it against the enemy. He wants to use the Word of God on yourself. He really does because he says in his word that it helps us distinguish between the soul and the spirit. You see, we think we're acting hypocritical when we speak differently than how we feel or what our emotions are saying. Listen, you're not, like for instance with with joy, you have to understand that joy is on the inside of you as a follower of Jesus Christ. So you're not being hypocritical when you don't feel joy, but you're still saying, I'm joyful today. I'm simply making a choice to divide, take the word of God and divide the soul from the spirit. Is this making sense to you today? Because your soul man, your mind, your will, and emotions is wanting to rule over you all the time. Many people are driven by their feelings. Many people are driven by their emotions, by, by the things that the enemy is depositing into their mind. But we have to learn how to take the, the, the sword of the Spirit and cut off unbelief in our lives. How do you know it's unbelief? Because it's contrary to the fruit of the Spirit. It's not love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Child of God, that's who you are. But you know what comes in is unloving, unkindness. No self-control. And what you just have to learn how to do is go, no, no, no. That's not what the Word of God says about me. And how we can do that is we learn how to take up the shield of faith. Y'all didn't know I was coming with props today, did you? We learn how to take up the shield of faith to quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. Which, by the way, as a preacher, you're always nervous about saying fiery darts because it can quickly come out as diary farts of the enemy. You got to learn how to take up all of, to quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. It's the shield of faith that does that. But here's the problem if you're not taking up the shield of faith, you're probably taking up the shield of fear. You're probably taking up the shield of doubt and unbelief. And when you're trying to work on you or someone is speaking the word of God, trying to work over you, it is literally stopping the word of God from working on you. Now, is that that important? Absolutely, because if I don't believe that forgiveness is important, I can become bound up in unforgiveness and I can become bitter. Come on, I'm preaching to somebody today. If I don't, if I don't recognize the things I'm not believing in when the Word of God is trying to tell me, no, you're more than a conqueror, I'm like, no, I don't think so because I just know I'm just going to go down. It's just not going to work out this time. we got to learn how to take up the shield of faith And allow the word of God to divide the soul and the spirit. Otherwise, we're going to find ourselves just like Jonah. Running from the will of God instead of running towards the will of God. Is God going to love you more if you're doing his will? Absolutely not. You know, God's going to love you no matter what. But God, God loves you just the way you are. But he loves you too much to keep you just the way you are. 
He wants you to walk in the fullness of life that he has for him. So if you don't learn how to get rid of the emotions, you're going to find yourself running from the will of God just like Jonah. And sometimes God actually has to allow a storm to come into your life that is going to get you back on track with the promises that he has for your life. I mean, how many of you would be honest today to recognize when you're going through a tough time is the time that you're typically calling out to God more than you're walking, when you're walking through a blessed time? Because when we're walking through a blessed time, sometimes we can just forget about God. So I'd like to look at the life of Jonah and the storm that God actually allowed into his life. Because we've looked at two different reasons why storms come into our life. Sometimes storms come into our life because of other people. How many of you recognize today that about 98.7253% of things that are bad in your life happen from other people? Other people bring storms into your life. And listen... Just so you know, when people bring storms into your life, it's not keeping you from your destiny unless you allow it. I hear people tell me all the time, yeah, I would live for God, but man, I had a preacher one time or I had somebody in church one time that said these ugly things and I just don't believe in God now. Seriously? I mean, honestly, think about it. Listen, other people in your life, they're not keeping you from your destiny. They're actually propelling you towards your destiny. Because what God can do is he can take everything that the enemy means for evil, use it for your good and for his glory. In fact, all the stumbling blocks that the enemy is trying to throw down actually become stepping stones for you to step up to your next level in your relationship with God. So sometimes, man, other people bring storms into our life. Sometimes, honestly, the second reason is We do wrong things. Every one of us here today have done something wrong this past week. We have. And sometimes when we do that, it brings storms into our life, and suddenly we're wondering if God's punishing us. Listen, God isn't punishing us. There's just negative consequences to not living according to his word. That's why he's given us his word, not because it's rules and regulations. He's trying to say, this is the abundant life I have for you. This is the path of life where peace and joy are discovered, where, where you walk in my love and where you give away love. Learn how to get back on the path all the time. So sometimes there's just some adjustments that we need to make to some wrong behavior. And the third storm that God uses is, is the storm to actually get us back on track. In fact, it's called the storm of redirection. And it's the story in the book of Jonah that God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh. And to, he asks him to go there to proclaim a, a message of repentance. And we have a tendency to think that repentance is you walk down to the front and you, you bawl and squall and you got snot coming out of your nose and, you know, that's really repentance. No, repentance is simply changing your mind. It's changing your behavior, changing the way that you're doing it. So, so God calls him to go preach this message of repentance to, to Nineveh, and, and, but Jonah heads out in the opposite direction. A great storm comes up, and they're trying to figure out, why is this storm happening? So in that day, they would actually cast lots, like kind of like rolling dice, and it falls to Jonah. So they say, Jonah, what happened? And he said, well, God told me to go to Nineveh. I'm going the opposite way. He said, hey, just throw me overboard, and it'll be okay. Now, I think that's pretty cool of Jonah to do that, because how many of you know, most of us would say, if I'm going down, y'all are going down with me, Right? He says, throw me over. Well, after some date, they, debate, they finally decide to throw him over. And the Bible says that a large fish, probably a whale, comes and swallows Jonah up. And for three days and three nights, he is in the belly of a well. Now, we have a tendency to kind of think of just kind of a padded room with maybe a little bit of water in it. But have you ever seen inside of a stomach of a dead animal? 
Years ago, I grew up on a farm and we had a cow that died. And so the vet came out and, and tried to figure out what. So he cut him open and opened up his stomach. Nasty. Three days and three nights, he's in the belly of a well. And he starts repenting for going against God's word. And then after three days and three nights, here's what the word of God says happens. He says, then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah up onto dry land. Nasty. Can you imagine? He, this is a guy in need of a shower, right? So Jonah goes to Nineveh and he preaches against the wickedness there. And watch this. 120,000 people repent. Listen, in our first service, we had five people repent and give their life to Christ. 120,000 people repent. Because Jonah did the thing that he was wired to do. God used him in an incredible way to keep God from destroying a city. God brought revival to that city. Now, how do I know that Jonah was actually doing what he was wired to do? If you know prophetic people, if you've been around church for a while, and I know some of you are going, prophetic people, what's that? They just have a gift to prophesy, to foretell and say things. They have a tendency sometimes to be a little bit direct and a little bit harsh. In fact, when great revival comes from his prophetic word, you'd think that Jonah would be excited. Oh, man, praise God for saving 120,000 people. You didn't have to destroy Nineveh. But in fact, he actually gets upset. And he tells God, this is why I didn't want to go to Nineveh in the first place. Because watch this, Jonah chapter 4 again. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Listen, and it's a lesson for us today that even when God allows a storm into our life to get us back on track, it's actually because of his grace and his mercy that it's there. Does that mean the storm's fun? Absolutely not. Does that mean it's challenging at times? Absolutely. But God uses a storm because of his grace and mercy. So the question that I might ask is, how do I know what I'm supposed to do so that I don't have to experience what Jonah had to experience? So I don't have to do what Jonah did. Well, before you figure out what you're supposed to do, you actually need to know who you are. You, you, that's what the Word of God does for you. It actually helps you understand who you are as a follower of Jesus Christ. Because again, many people see Christianity as a, a list of rules that they've got to follow. But what God's trying to help you understand is who you are. And then based upon who you are, you begin to discover what it is you're supposed to do. In fact, it's one of the reasons why I love the book of Ephesians. It's probably one of my favorite books. And listen, if you're having a hard time figuring out who you are and what you're supposed to do, read the book of Ephesians because it is a great place to start. The book is basically divided into two sections, and the first section is the blessing section, and the, and the second section is the behavior section. The first section is all about who you are in Christ and how, what an ama how amazing it is to actually get to live for Jesus Christ. In, in fact, have you thought about that lately, how amazing it is to get to live for Jesus Christ? Have you thought about that lately, how amazing it is to get to live for Jesus Christ? I'll tell you, when you know you, it, that you're in that I get to live for Jesus Christ mode is because during worship, you can't help but lift your hands. You can't help but sing out strong, thanking God that he does turn graves into gardens, that he does turn your mourning into dancing. You're remembering who he is and who you are actually in Christ. So Paul's trying to help us in this section what it means to be a Christ follower. So if anyone should ever ask you, hey, why is it so great to be a 
Christ follower, you've got a laundry list of things that you can share with them about the benefits from serving him. So he basically gives us who you are in Christ, that you're seated with him. Do you, do you understand that you're sitting right beside Jesus Christ? You're in him. You're hidden in him. They, because listen, everything changes when you understand what Christ has actually done for you. That there's favor and blessing in your life in spite of your wrong behavior. I'm always amazed this week as I was thinking about preparing for this message. I'm always amazed that God blesses me and his favor is upon me in spite of my wrong behavior. Because some of you grew up in church where the pastor seemed to be a guy who always had it together and was always perfect. Listen, it's like Christian was saying earlier, man, I'm preaching to myself. I got to remind myself all the time about who I am in Christ. Because the enemy wants to bring me down. He brings me down. It starts affecting all of us collectively together. So in the first half section, again, he talks about the blessing. The second section, talking about behavior. But you've got to understand, the revelation of the blessing comes first. Because God is not into behavior modification, but life transformation. And when you're changed on the inside, it begins to change the way you act. Because there's going to be a lot of people that are going to tell you, look, if you'll start doing right, then God's going to bless you. I'm telling you, God is already blessing you. You just have to figure out, okay, what does it mean to walk in the blessing that God has for me? And when that happens, it causes you to change your behavior because God's saying, look, I love you. My favor's on your life, and you didn't even have to earn it today. You didn't have to do one thing to earn it or to deserve it. So let me show you this verse in Ephesians that Paul talks to us about, about our behavior. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14. That is why it is said, wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. One more. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So here's what I want to ask you today. Have you gone to sleep at the will of your life? Have you kind of gotten on autopilot where you're just kind of coasting and going through what it is that you think you're supposed to be doing? Have you lost your zeal and passion? Have you lost your focus on Jesus? Give attention to how you live. Are you making the most of every opportunity? Are you, are you walking in the fullness that God has for you? Listen, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. It's the path of the limiting and avoiding storms being brought into your life. So here's what I want to close with this one final question. What's the last thing that God asked you to do that you're not currently doing? If you think about that for just a moment, maybe for you it's there's somebody you need to forgive. Maybe it's a walk of faith that, that there's an area that God's been asking you to step out in faith and trust Him with a new job, a new career, something going on and you've just been fearful. Or, or maybe it's just an issue of God's been speaking to you about your prayer life. And hey, it's time to start praying again or maybe he's been speaking to you about spending time in the word maybe he's been speaking to you about getting involved in church whether it's through a small groups that start today or going through the growth track that's now online whatever it is that God has spoken to you what I want to encourage you today go back and start doing the thing that God's spoken to you to do and you're going to find yourself redirected to the will of God and the path of life that God has for you 